Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grand Rounds. I uh, hope everyone is doing well, enjoying these uh, early spring days, a little bit nippy and cold, and I think today will be a little bit better. And uh, so it's uh, great to see all of you again. Uh, really happy to be able to share some uh, new information, and, and I think today we'll probably do it, uh, uh, I'm going to call it COVID-less, perhaps, in, in some way, although Laurie, I'm sure, will mention some COVID-related issues. And, and for today's Grand Rounds, we're really, uh, I'm really delighted to introduce our speaker, uh, Laurie Pelletier. Uh, and Laurie has been a, a wonderful partner uh, for the past, uh, I think, nine, ten weeks. I don't know. It seems like it seems like three years of, of COVID preparedness. And uh, and Laurie uh, and I have been chairing the, the COVID task force, uh, uh, in which we were meeting almost daily. Uh, and now we've spaced it out to every other day. Uh, trying to make sure that uh, the uh, staff is safe, that everyone who's here at Connecticut Children's is safe, uh, and also, also most importantly, that we provide great care for our patients, uh, COVID or no COVID. Uh, Lori is uh, uh, an amazing individual uh, who, uh, she's not an MD, but that's a good thing, and she is an engineer. And, and that uh, specific skill set has served us really well over the past uh, eight, eight to 10 weeks. Uh, she has an educational background that began in 1989 with a, uh, a bachelor's in chemical engineering with distinction, I want to say that. And her thesis was the analysis of the mechanisms of cobalt-catalyzed hydroformulation. So that, that, you know, that's, she's going to, I thought she was going to talk about that today, but I think she changed that a little bit. So uh, then she went on to get an MBA at the Western New England College in Springfield, and her concentration at that point was in management information systems. And then her PhD in 2010 uh, in manufacturing engineering uh, from the Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts, uh, focusing on health systems engineering. Uh, her thesis was on information-enabled decision-making in healthcare, physician measurements, EHR-enabled standardization and medical home concentration, health informatics, statistics, design, and healthcare processes. So now she's switching from cobalt into more the, the medical field, which uh, we were really pleased and lucky that she did that. Uh, she's had a number of prior very important professional uh, uh, adventures, venues, uh, and uh, initially she was the director of the Performance Improvement and Center for Innovation and Transformation Change in the Office of Quality and Patient Safety at UMass Memorial Healthcare. Then she moved on to be the Associate Vice President of Organizational Transformation at the Center for Innovation and Transformation Change, also at UMass Memorial Healthcare in Worcester. In 2016, she became Vice President of Operational Excellence at the, at the center as well. And then we were very lucky that in 2019, she um, accepted our offer to join Connecticut Children's as the Senior Vice President and Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer for our institution. She has extensive experience uh, in health systems and EHR implementation, extensive research experience in suicide prevention, and, uh, and she even likes sepsis, which that brings her a little closer to infectious disease, and that's perhaps why we, we get along so well, because of the infectious disease linkage. Uh, today, she will be um, sharing some information with us on uh, applying the standardization list to enhance the EHR system. So I, I think you will enjoy her presentation, and then please, uh, uh, if you can give her an electronic round of applause so that Lori can present her uh, grand rounds and just be reminded that at the end we'll take uh, questions using the Q&A uh, version of your uh, of your Zoom uh, browser and, and we will try to respond as many questions as you can. 
Uh, and you can also email her, email her after the presentation. I'm sure she'll be happy to respond. So again, welcome to Grand Rounds. Uh, Laurie, the podium is yours. Thank you, Juan. Good morning, everyone. Interestingly enough, cobalt catalyzed hydroformulation is the creation of detergents and soaps. So, you know, Juan, it all comes together, right? <laughs> Washing our hands is our friend these days. So um, thank you all for having me today. It's a little bit of a shift from talking about COVID in the last several grand rounds, um, but there's some connections here. So today I'm going to be talking to you about applying a standardization lens to enhance electronic health records. And um, as you know, uh, being assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics and also division head, um, excellence in patient safety and clinical quality. These are the members of our division, and I just have to give a big shout out to them. There are some amazing people doing some amazing work during this COVID time. So Natalie um, Beltzer, Bezler is um, working on chemotherapy safety. Brendan Campbell is Associate Chief Quality Officer and my left-hand person. He supports surgery. He's been helping out with um, Harford Healthcare, pre um, preparing to help them by taking on some trauma patients here. Luckily, um, they don't need to be pulling that lever, but Brendan was fully prepared to be able to handle that. But he's also part of the, the larger task force. Um, Jennifer uh, Giroto is the uh, antimicrobial stewardship program and working very hard on the treatment protocols for patients with COVID-19. We have Marianne Kelly working on emergency response for patients with positive or suspected COVID-19. Um, Carla Pruden, who is leading all of our simulation last minute requests for donning and doffing and um, getting patients successfully from the ED to the inpatient setting along with so many other things like our pop-up sites in the ED um, and 1A and so forth. Uh, David Sink is on the big task force as well and helping us at UConn and keeping our patients and our team members safe. Heather Torrey is my right-hand person. She's Associate Chief Quality Officer, and she's been helping with the CIN and the ambulatory protocols. She's been very big help there. And last is uh, Alana Wainick. She's been amazing, working many, many hours with our clinical pathways, adjusting as quickly as the CDC changes their mind and everyone else. Um, she's been tremendously helpful. So thank you all. Um, there's other people here that are doing some amazing work. Uh, and I'm so proud to be leading the Division of Excellence in Patient Safety and Clinical Quality. Thank you, team. I also want to acknowledge that my colleague, my research collaborator, my good friend, and co-author for the work that you're about to see is also joined us this morning, Dr. Sharon Johnson. She's the professor and area head of the Operations and Industrial Engineering Department at Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Thank you, Sharon, for joining us today, and thank you for being a wonderful friend. I have no disclosures. And so today the objectives is to describe EHR affordances, to describe the dimensions of standardization, and to discuss the intersection of information exchange and patient complexity. We all know what electronic health record system, but just so we're on the same page, maintains patient information, creates and stores notes, computerized orders, electronic reporting of test results, messaging, tasking, decision support, um, and connecting to other electronic health records and IT systems. So what is the motivation of all this research? Um, I always say all EHRs fail, some less than others. Um, some quotes here from Linder and all, as implemented back in 2007 now, EHRs were not associated with better quality ambulatory care. 
There's been mixed messages and lots of literature out there that suggest um, one way or another. The second important bullet here from Bates is uh, in all 2003 is clinical workflows are so essential in the upfront design in the early phases. And also the next one is such systems have the potential to support more efficient healthcare. And that's really my passion because I feel like we have not actualized the um, affordances, and those are the keywords I'm going to mention, and uh, electronic health records to really provide healthcare systems with the very best tools and support to do our job the most efficient and effective way for better quality and safety. The last um, reference here is a good friend of mine, Dr. Diane Strong. She's also a professor at WPI, and um, we co-authored a paper around understanding healthcare delivery processes and EHR affordances, along with Dr. Johnson and others. So the promise of electronic health records, the pre-EHR, the paper chart, okay, we had um, an effectiveness in doing that. During implementation, every organization did it slightly different. Um, there were some key components. I've been involved in many across um, several healthcare organizations, some that just plopped and then figured it out afterwards, um, some that did an exorbitant amount of pre-work and workflow analysis and getting input from uh, physicians. So there's different ways of going about it, but we do know that at some degree, uh, magnitude of impact, that there's some costs and difficulties during transition. But hopefully after post-implementation, we're able to achieve some of those great affordances that are outlined in the Institute of Medicine's report back in 2001, um, crossing the quality chasm, that really said that electronic health records were going to help us achieve those steep goals. The reality is that there are some challenges. Uh, we've been upgrading our EHRs constantly with new features and, and so forth. Um, you know, supporting the individual journey through this, the organization journey, and the national journey in, in this transition has been challenging as well. Um, and then just enabling transformation. How can we get this done more effectively? So I want to get to affordances. Affordances, as our definition, uh, Dr. Strong, Dr. Johnson, and all, um, were the new possibilities and, and constraints offered by an electronic health record that a healthcare organization can use to change its care delivery processes. There, the, the idea of affordances actually comes back to 1986 by um, Dr. Gibson that talks about the, um, what the environment offers or affords an animal that can either uh, provide or furnish either good or ill. This is interesting, it's kind of like having a chair that we build, right? Somebody builds a chair and we use a chair to sit in, right? But some people use a chair and that's the connection between a person and an artifact to use as a step stool. Um, so that's the idea of affordances. And then the actualization is actually using the chair to get to a higher object over say your refrigerator. The model is this, um, the top two purple boxes, we'll start with that, the features of electronic health records, so information availability, templates, tasks. The intersection with that, there's your artifact, with the characteristics and capabilities of potential users. So their competencies, can they type, are they good um, computer literate uh, individuals, are they motivated to take this on, and have they received the right training? When those two intersect, there are decisions made on what 
uh, features to unleash in the electronic health record, what workflow um, is necessary to use the electronic health record, and that's put into a process. And there's the affordance to actualization. So some of the affordances in our electronic health record is standardization of task roles data, decision making, how about data mining for population health, how about machine learning so that we can evolve our sepsis models to be um, the best that they can be for the environment that we're currently in. Those are all affordances. How we actualize that is the journey that we're going to talk about. It's an individual journey. It's an organizational journey. It's a microcosm uh, system journey. And with that, there's some outcomes. Quality of care has it gone up. You saw in the last slide where there's some variation in what people are seeing. Efficiency and satisfaction are all physicians, nurses, people using the electronic ha uh, record happy. And if you think about here at Connecticut Children's, where are we on this journey? Right? How happy are we with our own electronic health record? Have we tapped all the affordances that electronic health record can offer? Why not? What's getting in our way? How do we go back to the top purple boxes and change maybe the way that we decide on um, unleashing some of those electronic health record features or turning some off? You know, the, just a couple of conversations I've had around medication safety, there are a lot of best practice alerts, BPAs, out there. Um, some are ignored, some of them are used. Some people are just inundated with them. So again, as we put those into the process, what are the outcomes? Are they contributing to higher quality of care? How are the physicians and pharmacists and nurses thinking about all those BPAs? How would we change? So this model we could look at from many different aspects of our electronic health records and think about how we're going to pave the future at Connecticut Children's and how we best leverage our electronic health record. These affordances are also from simple um, to more complex and build off each other. This diagram just shows you for one healthcare organization how that works. With on the left, you can see capturing and uh, archiving digital data um, about patients. That's fundamental. That's in a fundamental affordance. Um, how it's done can vary between electronic health records, but if you do that well, it unleashes the next affordance, which is accessing the patient information anytime, anywhere, which then unleashes the next affordance. That is, if you want to actualize it, um, and that is substitution of professionals for, um, across different roles. So physician substitutability. If a physician is sick, can a, the patient see another physician that day? Those are examples of substitutability. Or having a pool of MAs such that they can serve any physician versus having primary MAs. So this is just a diagram to show that affordances can build off each other. So why is standardization? So one of the affordances I'm going to talk about is just standardization. There are many, many affordances. But let's just talk about standardization. So why is standardization so important? Um, and I always love this quote. It's impossible to improve any process until it's standardized. So think about that, right? If you just want to improve a process and you come up with a great intervention um, and putting it into a process that's highly variable, actually what you're doing is just adding one more variant. So it's so important that we pause, we standardize, we stabilize so that now we can improve. And as we come out of this COVID situation, um, eventually we will, it might take us a couple years, 
What will the new Connecticut Children's look like? How, what would our way of doing business look like? How do we take the time right now to capture these best practices that we're all putting in place during this pandemic and codify it, hardwire it, so we are in a better place? Now, evolution is our friend. So once you standardize, you can always evolve. The definition of standardization is the best way of doing it today, which means tomorrow you can evolve it, but have, do we make it accessible to evolve? How do we get the workflow, the people, the collaboration, so that we get the best way of doing business today, every day? So how is standardized, uh, standardization achieved? Many different ways. Um, process redesign and lean, is one way, uh, and that's Parks from 2003. A lot of uh, literature around Six Sigma, total quality management, it all comes down to improvement science. And one of my goals here at Connecticut Children's is to have 26, to enable 2,600 employees to everyday problem solve and innovate as a way of doing business. Um, so having that organizational capability is gonna be very, very key in how agile we are as an organization and how uh, able we are to pivot. So what is standardized? There's a, a couple um, uh, literature review groups that we um, kind of get involved in, but data tasks and roles or data routines and roles, you see Dr. Strong in there. Um, and that's what we're really focused on here uh, is data tasks and roles. So how much standardization is desirable? You hear me say this all the time, rigor without rigidity. Rigidity causes waste because you feel constraint in a process that's not working. So it's overproduction. It's not pro producing value. Rigor is allowing that flexibility. So why do we need rigor without rigidity? High variability. Um, healthcare compared to any other organization, compared to any other industry, is highly variable. Every patient is different. Their demands are different. Their disease presentation is different. Their treatment plan might be different or slightly um, different. So high variability. And then the other thing I would say about high variability is, yet we tend to use averages for everything. <laughs> In our data analysis, uh, you know, consultants will use averages, yet we don't have average patients going through an average process. So that is so important. If you think about per hour of the day, day of the week, month of the year, there's a lot of variation in there. Um, we also have high complexity because we don't have machines that um, uh, process patients. We have humans, right? So we all have our own styles, our ways of doing business, the way that we communicate slightly, um, our values that we bring to the table. And it's very dynamic. Every clinic is slightly different. Every um, medical center is, is slightly different. And then also the incomplete top-down design. So what's meant, um, uh, what is meant by that? The unintentional consequences. So this is where leadership can put a line in the, stand, the sand and say things are not optional. If we're gonna have the Connecticut children's way of doing business, this is the way we do business. So leaders need to be out there explaining the why, the why behind it, um, coaching people on it. And when I say it, the standard way of doing business. So here's the study that uh, Dr. Johnson and I were part of. Uh, this was uh, a broader study. It was supported by NSF, as you can see. And we looked at and we interviewed 78 different individuals before the electronic health record went live in the exam room, one month after, and then 12 months after. 
We did this at a medical center in uh, Massachusetts, 25 sites, over 300 providers, 200,000 patients with over a million visits, um, 10, 10 primary care departments, and small and large departments. So we had some variation there. And we interviewed physicians, nurses, MAs, um, the call center, PSS, and uh, practice managers. So uh, we had, for data reporting, five sites for all three time periods and two sites that were added for the last time period. Like I said, a total of 78 interviews. We used a grounded theory analysis using Strauss and Corbin. And what that is, is um, when you interview and you transcribe, and then we used NVivo software, you let the data breathe and speak to what the interviewees are saying versus a construct or model that you use to find what you're looking for. You know, the media can do this and, and consultants can do this, but there's also some researchers that have a defined model. They interview uh, individuals and they look for what they're, um, to, to, they're looking to saturate or to support that model. This is different. Strauss and Cor Corbin, you start off with open coding. So I did all the coding and initially what we did is Dr. Strong, uh, Dr. Johnson and I, we did a little bit of reliability. So they all, we all did some coding and then compared notes. Um, but you start off with open code. So what are the interviewees telling you? Then you look for connections, Axio coding. And once you get those connections, then you kind of stand back and look for selective coding, those higher level theory and constructs. So this is just an example. Um, right here we have information availability. So we um, coded that 70, 76, sorry, 76 interviewees used the word information availability and a total of 293 passages were coded, open coded with information availability as their code. The Axio coding is a little different as well. Um, like I said, this is where you join open codes. So data quality was associated with style. So there's that axial. Um, Nonlinear process of thinking is associated with style. And standardization of tasks is also associated with style. So this is where we start making those connections. Um, so what did we find? Data tasks and roles before the electronic health records. So we looked at, through the interviews, what are the MAs doing, the medical assistants doing today? They're doing the charts, they're rooming patients, and so forth. Then we looked at physicians. What are they doing before the electronic health record with the paper charts? Um, determining diagnosis and treatment. And then you can see the nurses. And the data uh, arrows show how information flows between these individuals. So nurses were um, phone triaging, doing some clinical work, nurse visits. And then the PSS were the front check-in and check-out. But after the EHR, you see some of those tasks shifted. So now the MA is doing a little bit of entering history and, and allergies. The physician is scheduling orders in the exam room, something that the PSS used to do. Um, nurses no longer um, uh, have some of the um, phone. So you'll notice the phone triage is a little different. It's scripted and they have to follow a certain way of asking questions. And then the PSS role, you can see, changed a little bit. And they took on sorting mail and doing other things for physicians. Again, this is one site and how their roles, tasks, uh, and data shifted after the electronic health record. So what came out of this um, 
study was this model. Again, we can think about this from Connecticut Children's. But the microsystem context is the organization, how many sites, small, big, what their true north kind of focus is for their organization, what they value. Another piece of that is the electronic health record structures, data task roles, the individual style, preferences, expertise, and then all the different ways of handling patients, different pathways. So that's the context. As we change the data tasks and roles and others for after the electronic health record going live, it's put into the process, similar to the last model I showed you. And the outcomes are the amount of standardization, quality of care, satisfaction, efficiency. Based on that, especially immediately after the electronic health record went live, a lot of PDSAs, Plan, Do, Study, Act, a lot of adjustments were made, and those are the actions. And the actions going back into the microsystem, where changes were made to the electronic health system, were made to the workflow, and so forth. Those organizations that did not do a lot of pre-design work, uh, workflow analysis, more collaboration, they found this to be a very um, difficult period of time right after elect the, the go-live. Um, that's where that big dip was in one of the slides that I've shown you already. So again, I want to pose the question of at Connecticut Children's, where are we on our journey? If we think about our outcomes and standardization, if we think about our quality of care and satisfaction and how all these intersect, what could be the changes in our microsystem? Where would we get started? How would we adjust our processes? So I'm just going to bring out some of the, uh, the quotes that we use to ground our theoretical model. For data uh, standardization of data, information organization, here's some of the quotes that we, uh, we kind of uh, coded that, kind of, that led us to information organization and, and standardization. So for the PCP, you click on the diabetes flowchart and automatically it brings up all their blood sugars and so forth. So a physician said that, information organization. The nurse said, wonderful, um, it's wonderful. Everything I need is right there. So from an information organization, that affordance, we're actualizing it as designed. Data quality, one of the staff, secretarial staff, says not a question anymore about what the doctor wants because he has to put it in the system. At one point before the electronic health records, sometimes they had a difficult time reading the physician's um, handwriting. And so this was a satisfier immediately after go live for the secretarial staff because there was no question. Also, the MA um, says it stops you and asks you if this is correct. So again, data quality being a dimension of standardization of data. For standardization of tasks, there were two dimensions, process is defined and process variability. In terms of defined, as you can see, the PCP says you know exactly what you have to do and whether it's been accomplished. And then also the nurse is saying, um, it prompts you to what questions you need to ask for a specific subject. And then here's the process variability piece though. The nurse will also say is, the problem is triaging a patient is not scripted. So remember, they're doing all the phone triage. And in this electronic health uh, record, it was highly standardized. And so the patient, what they would say is patients don't come in um, with a script that follows the questions in that order. They just tell their story. So when they start explaining what's going wrong, they could be answering a question that is question number 10, yet the nurse has to interrupt them to get the one through nine done first. So they found that to be a dissatisfier, the nurses. 
um, and felt that it was taken away from their expertise. Standardization of roles, so two dimensions are rethinking who does what. Physicians say, I'm doing a lot of work that downstream, um, the downstream people don't have to do. So again, a lot of physicians are saying, I'm putting in the orders now in the system, whereas I used to just write it on a piece of paper and hand it over, and scheduling their follow-up. Practice manager is saying that we're taking other clerical things off their plates um, that they used to do. And then standardization of roles is rethinking what each role entails. So again, build, building off the story I mentioned, the nurse is saying, I'm glued to a chair staring at a computer. And the PCP is, I'm, doing, um, I'm not doing the patient care. There's been a lot of literature that talks about the triad, and that is the physician, the patient, and the electronic health record. And some of the quotes were around, um, I'm staring at a computer with my back to the patient. So missing that human-to-human -human interaction and um, the uncomfortableness when the physician's about to leave and the, and the patient says, but I have other things I need to talk to you about. So again, rethinking what each role entails. And the MA, as you can see, their um, quote down here is, uh, whereas now all MAs do the same. This is just a process design tool that across all the clinics, you can look at the degree of standardization of data tasks and roles per, uh, per role. So you can see the physician has um, the least amount of standardization of data task roles, whereas the secretarial staff were very, very highly, highly structured um, and were highly satisfied with that structure. I'm going to mention four pathways now. Um, so we took two dimensions, that's patient complexity and information exchange. Patient complexity being low, um, coming in for a chief complaint that is um, highly standardized, and then a patient complexity high, where uh, a patient comes in, chief complaint, we don't really know what's going on. Um, very um, difficult to diagnose. Information exchange is um, routine, and then knowledge intensive. Okay, so when we look at those two dimensions and the intersection, we find four pathways. And what most electronic health records have done is a one-size-fits-all initially. So um, EPIC tends to be a little bit more standardized than something like Allscripts in the ambulatory setting. Allscripts tends to be a little bit more customized, free texting, all of that. EPIC is a little bit more structured. At least that's the way it was when we were doing this analysis. So you can see that with these four pathways, um, those two uh, modalities can either serve up the, one of these pathways or not. So let's go with the standardization. So this pathway is categorized by healthy patients with routine visits and standard complaints. Again, a, um, a template, an EPIC template is very um, conducive to this kind of pathway. The next pathway is multiple standardized pathways. So that's categorized by patients who typically have more than one chronic disease and are being seen by a PCP for a routine visit. Knowledge intensive um, intersection with the low patient complexity is this pathway is categorized by healthy patients with unique acute complaints. And then the flexibility one is characterized by patients who typically have more than one chronic disease and related comorbid COVID, um, conditions and are being seen by the primary care physician for related complications with an acute ailment. Oops, 
excuse me, we're just pausing for my um, audio. So what do we do about all these pathways, the four pathways? Well, in designing your electronic health record before go live or even after, it's understanding what is the, that IT designed for standardization? Well, and then what is the process designed for that standardization? And then there, again, there's some quotes to support this pathway. Um, so for standardization, again, embedded data, routines, roles, well child visit, for instance. Uh, process design, standard information between roles, and then the quotes from a physician, we feel it's a better outcome with the EHR because when we do the templates, everything is there. So this is how we um, kind of uh, coded everything and, and really our recommendation on how do you design for these pathways going forward. Multiple standardized pathways, multiple templates, Clinical staff perform tasks to aid physician on routine tasks. Um, and then you can see the quote there. Um, the people that I see in my practice, I can categorize of having five or six chronic diseases. And when I see those problems, um, there are certain things that I always do. So that physician is really spelling out the fact that you can highly standardize that scenario or pathway. Structure with flexibility, again, structure to capture unique occurrences. So generic templates, a little bit more flexibility, allowing for individual style here of our physicians and nurses. And then you can see the quote from the nurse. They've changed the template to basically put your question or disposition at the top. And the last pathway is flexibility. So structure to accommodate flexibility, allowing physicians to choose that style. Um, a lot of electronic health records now have um, software that converts voice to text. And in some cases, what we saw are MA scribes to support that physician. So some of the contributions of all this work is the model that I showed you that shows the dynamics of the electronic health record uh, enabled affordances into the microsystem and how those interactions play out, how you redesign your process to get the outcomes that you want, and how it's a very dynamic model. Um, one that uh, with the changes in our reg regulatory and our um, clinical protocols and the technology that we use and with our preferences of our patients and of our providers, um, it's a dynamic model. It never really ends. And so the whole point would be to continue to optimize and move towards the direction of, of better quality of care and satisfaction. The fourth pathways that I mentioned just give you a, a framework and understanding that um, every electronic health record cannot do a one size fits all. There has to be some flexibility to take care of patients in the right way. And that process design tool is really a nice design tool if you're looking at categorizing across many clinics. And so um, the last statement I want to say is practically this study has the potential to support those um, conducting process improvements to optimize their electronic health records, along with the 10% across the country who have not cut over. Some limitations, our data was from one organization. Um, we assumed that uh, individual style is easy to be influenced. And some of the future work is looking at individual style, looking at um, the standardization dynamics model, 
and um, using it on different electronic health record platforms and other organizations. There is a study right now happening with Dr. Johnson and Amy Finn, who's a PhD candidate, that's further exploring the EHR as an integrating mechanism. And that's all I have. Any questions? All right, let me read them. Right. Um, thank you, Laurie. Great rigor, but not rigidity. Is that that's what uh, yes. that's the message, right? Yes, okay. rigor without rigidity. Okay, fantastic. I like that. Um, the well, it's just a question of you know, if somebody wants to know how to access the PowerPoint for further review. I think we'll we'll make it available. Um, I'm looking at yep, correct through Eads. Mm -hmm. That's that's where we we will go through. So we're waiting for for a few questions here. In the um, is this where we'll be coming through? Yeah. Okay, and right now I think people are probably you know usually they wait till till the end. So, uh, so I, I'll I'll begin with a question, Laurie. So the uh, actually one came in. How far are we with um, integrating EHRs? Yeah, that's a, that's always a good question. Different types of EHRs. You have yeah. any idea? Not you may not know, but how, yeah, you know, all the different modalities. How can we put them together into one? That's a great question, and uh, I would say that um, my limited uh, exposure is that we're not there yet. Um, there was a lot of discussion 20 years ago, is who, 10 years ago, you know, who's gonna pay for that? How do we um, make that happen? And um, I think we've come a little further along, especially where we bring in, say, um, pharmaceutical information. Uh, we have a, I think, SureScripts that brings in some of that. So we're getting there. I don't, I think we have a long ways to go though. And, um, but honestly, I don't have all the literature in front of me to, um, and, and, uh, you know, kind of where we are in the regulatory space on that. So great question though. I don't have the full answer. So in, in your, um, in your experience, uh, on your research and, uh, has, uh, has the EHR made, made, uh, our lives easier or, or harder? Yeah. So those basic affordances that I showed on uh, one of the slides in terms of information availability and being accessible, yes. You know, physicians can, from their home, go through their chart, write up their notes and all that. So that has made some difference. I think there's so much more opportunity, though, um, in spaces like population health and doing data mining, pulling the data, our physicians in the, in, in the division um, would love to get more information out so that they can do further analysis. And we're just not there making it so simple and easy for anyone any day to learn um, from that data. So, uh, you know, I would say that we are still in that early phase or, um, of really harnessing the, and actualizing the affordances that we can actually benefit from. So this is from one of our pediatricians, and it's not a question, it's, it's more of a thank you. And, and, and Carrie Strime says, um, uh, thank you for adding a human dimension with to be such uh, uh, a computerized world and, or, or so computer driven. So can you comment on that, the human dimension of EHRs? Right, and so, and that's the qualitative piece. And, you know, our journey is a summation of individual journeys. It's a human thing more than an artifact. And uh, in the lots of the designs, they miss that piece of it. 
and how do we collaborate and harness the best practices from all the individuals so that we can you know actualize more of those affordances where it's an untapped capability and so um, I believe it's more a human thing than an artifact thing it's a journey of um, uh, uh, of collaboration and of doing whatever is needed to deliver higher quality of care and we can't do it just with the electronic health record uh, from Adam Silverman, uh, one of our intensivists, uh, very interesting presentation. How could you, how would you extrapolate your research to the inpatient setting? Very interesting. Um, so if it's before the electronic health record goes live or actually even right now. So how would we harness our outcomes right now? What does it look like today? And I think we would do an exhaustive um, study around what does it look like? What is our current state? So that would be interviewing uh, physicians, nurses, and what are you using the electronic health record for? Are you getting what you need when you need it for the right patient at the right time? And, and then looking at the current state of the electronic health record, what features have we turned on? What features haven't we turned on? Um, and then looking at maybe some data in terms of best practice alerts. How many people are clicking on them or dismissing them? So, so kind of, and then looking at um, Epic templates. How many people have customized the templates? How many variations are there? Is there a way to further standardize? So I would do pretty much a very exhaustive current state to say, what does it look like today? And is there a gap between what it is today versus where we want to be? and then bring the individuals together to say, now, for the next three years, how are we going to map out um, that vision in terms of, um, of getting there and swim lane it, right? So maybe the physicians want to come up with, and I was talking about uh, Alana Wainick, and she's just fabulous. How do we get our clinical pathways up to 100% utilization across the board? What would it take in the electronic health record? And understanding what are all the BPAs and, and, and maybe voting or just on which ones are we going to deselect or not? How do we stand that up better? So I think three parts. One, current state. What does it look like today? What is the satisfaction of our providers? What do they want out of it? And then future state. Where do we want to be in three years and how are we going to march to get there? What are those key pieces? And I do believe that electronic health records in this process is the only way we're going to get to a better place of quality of care, um, better place for uh, satisfaction, and how we can really attract people to our organization. Imagine having a machine learning model around sepsis. That would be cool. Uh, a lot of these things where most organizations aren't even in that space yet. And mind you, the IOM report came out in 2001. We're going into 20 years of this journey, yet we've only actualized maybe the basic affordances. Thank you. Uh, another question, uh, is there data on number of patients seen, physician time per patient, including documentation? I guess it's uh, it probably relates to the efficiency of the EHR and how that, that contributes to, uh, I'm not sure if it's related to satisfaction or, or, or quality. I mean, it's sort of a broader, broad, broad question. 
Yeah. Uh, so we didn't capture that for the study, but I do think that we would list those kinds of variables to look at and pull out of EPIC and work with our EPIC team to say, can we get this information or how are we going to get this information? What fields are discrete that are easy to pull and what, are them, uh, what, what fields do we have to extract through um, chart? So I think the patient volume is easy to um, extract, but I don't know about those other, um, those other questions, those other variables. Has the EHR been cost effective? That's a great question. Um, that's a great question. You think about how many millions of trillions of dollars that have been dumped into electronic health records. And if you think about the outcomes, is, has there been a return on investment? It's a great question. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, another question from one of our pediatricians. Uh, how might standardized templates within Epic incentivize physicians to write notes that capture the individuality of patients' lives and problems. Yeah, so again, that standardized template is a, a wonderful way to capture everything that you need and be able to free text whatever else that you need to do to capture the holistic view of that patient. And so that, I believe, like I said, with the pathways, it's you have to standardize and customize, and it's that balance so that you can capture the full essence. When we first went live uh, on this study, there was a lot of fear that every patient was gonna look exactly the same and that the insurance companies were gonna start denying us because we just manufactured the same patient over and over again. And so how do we capture the essence of the patient's holistic, the family environment and all of that um, and our Epic templates, I think is very, very important. Um. Question for the, for the other Dr. Salazar, by the other Dr. Salazar, how, how do we integrate pathways and risk stratification that has been developed separately? For instance, we have been working in better ways to understand risk and early identification of cardio-oncology patients to deliver higher quality of care. So how do you, how do you link them? Yeah, uh, it goes back to the modeling. Uh, the, Epic has like 15 or more uh, models, but Every model is wrong, right? Some are helpful, and it comes down to the assumptions. And so uh, the assumptions can, can, are not the same at Connecticut Children's as they might be at CHOP or might be across the, organization, uh, the, the country. So I think modeling is the key, but having the competency on, in this organization to be able to build those models and evolve those models so that you can make some interesting um, hypotheses and do some uh, data mining is really the key going forward in order to do what what you mentioned. Uh, from uh, this is anonymous. Uh, uh, the problem with EHR is that we bring work home, and it has really affected our family and personal life prior to COVID. Could not have managed present situation with COVID without telemed. So sort of a you know one side or the other. What do you? How do you answer that? So I believe that there's an opportunity to do a value-added analysis. And what that is, is you look at all the roles on, say, the ward or in the ED or in the clinic, and you look at what is, every, what are, what is everyone doing? Um, what is the value-added work that they're doing that uh, we hired them to do? Are they working to their licensure? Or what is some of that value-added work that maybe others can do for them? nurses can do that some of that value-added work then what's that non-value-added work but mandatory 
So that's documentation. And how do we make that non-value-added but mandatory work um, more efficient and effective? Um, and so, or can others do that work? And then there's the pure waste. Um, across the country, and every time I do this analysis and the 10 healthcare organizations that I've supported, um, at least 30% of all physician time, no matter where you go, is pure waste. So as leaders, how are we going to take that waste? And that is waiting for results, waiting for patients, looking for the nurse, um, you know, um, incorrect information, um, not having what you need when you need it, basically. So waste. So if we look at all the roles in, say, a clinic or an inpatient setting, and we look at all the work that people are doing, how do we shuffle the deck so at the end of the day, physicians can go home on time? Um, that's, the, I think, uh, an underutilized tool in healthcare, and everything is changing so rapidly, and we never go back to peel back the onion to say, do we really still need to do this? Do I still need to do this? Can someone else help me with that? Um, I think there's something to be gained there. Uh, I don't know Connecticut Children's enough to say where those low-hanging fruit are, but I'm happy to engage in those kinds of analyses. From uh, Dr. Rubin, Karen Rubin, how, we meet, how, we, how might we incorporate patient-reported outcomes into our EHR? Yeah, um, again, I think it's all about who's going to put the information in and then who's going to be extracting it. What are, what are the audience and uh, uh, customer for that work? And, you know, once you start thinking through the inputs, the outputs, um, it's doable. But, again, I think it comes back to... Um, how much do we leverage and um, are we over leveraging the HR? Are we under for those kinds of venues? So right now we do a lot of manual chart extraction, to be honest with you, even in my team. And um, how do we automate that? If we get to a place where we're doing some more data mining and extraction of qualitative uh, information, I think we'll get to a better place for um, patient reported outcomes. Uh, from, uh, I'm not sure which Melissa it is, it could be, there are a number of Melissas that we have, but a great presentation. Can you speak to your division and how it might work with other divisions and programs to opt optimize safety and quality improvement initiatives? That's a great question. So when um, uh, our division met, we talked about what does good look like and what do we need to do to get there? And part of it was around data um, and how do we get the right data at the right time um, they're spending probably 80% of their research just pulling the data. You got to pull it, you got to cleanse it, um, you've got to visualize it, you've got to interpret it, and then only after that can you act on it, right? So how do we pull meaningful and actionable data out of our electronic health records so that we can make more informed, better informed decisions in a more timely way? That's where electronic health records can support um, my division, but also other divisions. So again, we have that agility of information, but it has to be meaningful and it has to be actionable. You have, the data has to um, have some standardized definitions and so that we're not just pulling it and making assumptions. When data is inputted into the electronic health record, how it's put in, who puts it in, when it, it's put in, where it's put in, can make a huge change to the interpretation of that data point. I'll give you an example of um, decision to admit to an inpatient setting from the uh, ED to the time in which the patient arrives 
to the inpatient floor, that can have some many different meanings depending upon, again, the who, what, when, where, and how that information is put in at both ends of the spectrum. So I think helping the division is really getting uh, and working with IT to have a standardized uh, definitions of these key discrete points um, and then having an easy way of pulling, cleansing, visualizing, interpreting, and again, acting on it. And I think that could serve the research world um, across all the divisions. I have one last question. Uh, is there any information on critical thinking um, of students using the EHR? How does, I guess the question is, how does the electronic health record either improve or enhance or impede uh, student thinking, critical thinking? Okay. Um, so, so I believe that with good data in the system, you could be, build scenarios that then ask students, what would you do in this case? So if you have a robust way of packaging up scenarios, patients coming in with certain um, disposition, then you can better use that quickly to ask students, now how would I act on this? What would you do for second and third? And so that, that's the way that I would say that students, now if you're talking about statistical students, um, then again, making sure that they have a database or repository to pull from um, that they can cleanse and use and be able to um, support the research arena in a very effective and efficient way without a lot of noise. Um, I think that would be tremendously helpful. Great. Thank you. So we want to thank uh, Dr. Pelletier for an outstanding presentation. As you can see, we, she brings uh, a lot of rigor without the rigidity, uh, and she has a lot of flexibility. In, in thinking about this. And uh, so I think it will be a fantastic, journey, a fantastic journey once we get done with COVID, although in the midst of COVID, we can learn a lot. So I want to wish all of you a happy week. If, uh, enjoy the spring day. Stay safe. And tune in again uh, on Friday for the Ask the Expert session. Uh, we also, for those of you who are part of Connecticut Children's, we have a town hall this afternoon, I believe it's at 2 o'clock. So take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.